Hello, welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm going to... And here with my friend Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachar Chagiga, daf Chav Gimel, page 23. So we're continuing our study of these malot, of these stringencies that we have. Um, with First, we're doing with the category of Kodesh versus Truma. Um, and uh, this daf is going to discuss the sixth, the third one, the sixth one, and the seventh one is enumerated. Um, in the uh, Mishnah that we had learned. Um, and I, I'm trying to be a little bit numerical and list-oriented with this because I think it makes a little bit more sense, or at least for me, it makes a little bit more sense to think about it this way. So I'm going to talk about the third one and the seventh one. Anne's going to do the middle one, the sixth one. It's interesting that they, the, Mish, the Gemara here doesn't really comment on the fourth and fifth one is listed in the Mishnah. Um, and uh, the third one, there's just a small comment about it, And that's talking about that for Kodesh, you cannot carry something uh, uh, with that's Midras also, right? That has Tumat Midras, which means something that a Zav or Anita sat on um, at the same time as you're carrying Kodesh. But you can do that with something that is Truma. And so I'm really starting at the bottom of Chav Bet Amud Bet. Ha no say it on Midras, no say it's a Truma, right? Somebody who carries uh, the Midras is, al- Midras is also allowed to carry Truma at the same time. Um, and so it's interesting because you're basically carrying something, Midrash is something that's Tame, but at the same time, you're allowed to carry poor. Um, and we're not really worried that you're sort of going to get the two confused and get something that was Tame mixed up with something that was uh, Takor, because remember, Tame Truma needs to be burned and can't be eaten. And so the question is, um, right, about Loata Kodesh, but this isn't true for the Kodesh. So Kodesh, my time alone. So the question is, why is this true for Kodesh? Why aren't we... Uh, why do we have this stringency for Kodesh that we don't have for Chuma? Mishum Masahaya. So it's interesting. The the Gemara gives us a story, and they basically are going to recount that there was this one weird incident that happened, and based on this, they created a stringency, right? The Amar Rav Yehuda Amar Shmuel. Rav Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, Masa Ba'echad, right? There was a story with one person. This sounds like, you know, almost like a an urban legend, okay? who was, uh, you know, carrying, transferring a barrel of Kodesh wine, of sacrificial wine from one place to another. And the strap of his sandal, which obviously had to have been, again, this is interesting also because the Gemara doesn't tell you this detail, but it's what has to be true for the story to make sense. The strap of his sandal had Tumat Midras, right? It somehow must have been worn by a Zav or sat on by a Zav. And what happened? The strap of his sandal, basically, right, um, it uh, it breaks off. And he picked it up and he put it on top of the mouth of the barrow. And somehow it like exactly fell inside the barrel. It's a bit of room that's between like in the barrel and like the actual wine. The needs mate, and therefore all the wine that was in the barrel basically became tummy because this coated wine now came in, in contact with this sandal that had tumat midras. The otasha amru at that moment, right? Like it's amazing how they construct this story. At that exact moment, as soon as everybody heard this story, I no say it's a midras, no say it's a truma about lo et a hegdesh, right? So they made this that if you carry midras, you can carry truma, but if you carry midras, you cannot carry. Uh, Kodesh. And so then the Gemara asks, 
the obvious question. Okay, this doesn't make sense. The same thing could happen while you're carrying Truma. You could have the same freak thing happen, right? That your, uh, you know, that your uh, strap of your sandal, which was Tame Midras, could fall off, right? You put it on top of your, this Chavit and it falls inside uh, and it falls inside also. And so then it basically says, Hamani Rabbi Hanina ben Akvia he. So they say, no, this is the particular opinion of one Tana, Rabbi Hanina ben Akva, uh, Akava, because, and and basically they sort of go through, they, they're going to quote a Brisa later on uh, that gives the background to this uh, as well. Um, and that it's, you know, it's part, which has to do with a particular story about transferring things over a bridge or over the yards and things like that. And then it finally quotes that there was sort of, uh, you know, uh, 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 this had to do with transferring a boat. And then there ends up being an incident where there was like a tiny bit of corpse uh, on the boat and it made everything on the boat also tummy. So what they basically say is, is that they just do the, the, the way they resolve this is, is they essentially say they only do the case, you know, where the case came from. Since the case had to do with Midras and Kodesh, that's what they ultimately in like. That's what the story is based on. But they're not worrying about the case of Truma. This doesn't totally make sense to me. Um, and also, like, the construct of uh, the, you know, of the discussion or this masa is also interesting, right? That it's like there was one time something, I mean, it seems like such a freak, you know, event to happen. It sounds like, it feels like a one in a million event. So do you make a whole category? Do you create a whole stringency around codes? Based on that one, um, about, uh, based upon that one freak incident, and so I just wonder here again if this is one of these examples where there's like a misora about something, but they're not quite sure how that misora happened, and so now the gemara is sort of coming back to sort of reconstruct it, and they try to do it by finding a tana and another story that happened to that tana to try to reconstruct it. But I find the discussion here actually to be quite puzzling. I don't think they answer well why the stringency applies only to Kodesh and not to Truma, especially if it's based on a freak accident or a freak event, because then just as likely that could still happen with Truma, even though it hadn't yet. So I have the feeling that this actually happened and that this is like a, oh my goodness, that could happen. So we must make a decree about it. So, so we must take care of it. And then the next generation says like, hello, it could happen in the other case also. And they didn't really get to it because it wasn't essential at that moment. I'm reminded of the kinds of decrees that happened on a, you know, air air travel, right? That you for a very long time you had to take off your shoes because oh my goodness, one really you know disturbed person planned a shoe bomb, right? So, whatever. However, it is that he hid it in his shoes so that everybody had to take off their shoes. And then like, okay, fine, it's possible, but but it's the kind of thing that like. I don't, did they catch anybody else doing the same thing again? You know, like, but they, but they made that decree. I don't know how many years did everybody have to take off their shoes? Maybe they still do. I don't even know. Yeah, I, I but, think that's a good, that's a good modern day example, right? Like that something happens and it's so, so I guess that's what it is. It sound, it feels very reactive in a way that halacha is often not. And that's what I'm right. By. So, so, so I'm it a little bit differently. It's such a reactive response and such a stringency, right? Like, and, and again, when that thing happened with the shoe bombing, everybody would like, put it in my hat, you know, I could put it right, in exactly. my hat. So I, I guess that's what I'm but they, reacting to. But that's, make, a great, I mean, wait, but that's a great modern day example. So, and the reason I think that that reactive thing sometimes doesn't extend 
to all possible logical conclusions is because people, A, I think it might be part of the human psyche, right? Like you respond to the case that happened, not not literally every possibility, which is surprising because there's a lot of every possibility here with Tumantara. And I wonder, I think that the, the degree of reactivity here, I agree, I think that's a good way to characterize it here, that they're responding to something as opposed to like like in an emergency mode, so to speak, um, because because it's too Tara and we don't relate to it in this way. We keep saying that we don't relate to it in this way, but like the implication of oh my goodness, make sure that something that shouldn't be getting rendered impure is not getting rendered impure. Um, it seems like it was you know a very big deal, and here's an example of it being a very big deal. I think right. that's and my that I would agree with, like a whole barrel of Kodesh wine to become tummy is a big deal. But but I, that's my question. It feels very bad. And you'll see when I go to the seventh one after you're done, there they use a pasuk. So that's also why it's interesting. It's like here they're using a masa. They are trying to figure out a little bit the reasoning behind all this. And I, I just wonder if this one was a little bit harder for them. But they find something, but it was just harder. All right, now on to the sixth one. Okay, now I just want to clarify, right? The, we're on the same DAF. We're jumping from one to the next. The, the numbers, your data that you're using here are, and anybody could do this, right? If you take the cases that are enumerated, that are listed, they're not enumerated at all with numbers in the Mishnah, and you kind of like highlighted them and count them out, you'll get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? Like you'll get the 10 in that way. And your data, 11, you've just now talked I think we said 10 before, but it's actually 11. No, no, no. The Gemara talks about why is it 11, right. but... Yeah. That's what I spoke about a couple of days ago. Why is it 11 when we talk about a big 10? It, whatever. Yes. It's why those fine. But that's a separate question. My point is that when we're now saying that this is the sixth one, you can too go find the citation for the Mishnah. The citation for the Mishnah for this is Kelima Hadigmarim Batara. And that will be the sixth case there. there the Gemara does not give us a, a bullet list here um, at all, which, you know, it depends on your mind. Like, do you need a bullet list? to put everything in order, and people do that, right? There's all kinds of um, uh, Gemara learning aids that will put things like that. And then, you know, other people don't. And I always wonder, like, is it supposed to be that way? Is it not supposed to be that way? And maybe it really is just a matter of different styles. Okay. Um, so what happens? We have vessels, right, that were completed, that they were made and completed in Tara, meaning they, the person making them was pure, and they took great care, meaning had the status of being pure. They took great care to make sure that nothing impure came in contact with the vessel during the process of fashioning it, right? Um, and then this is, you know, nowadays is where we would talk about, like, would you dunk something in the mikvah for if it was made by a non-Jew, for example, or if it just comes from a factory. Um, in this case, the Gemara says, the Gemara who man, Right, who completed the work on this vessel? Right, if we're really talking about the case, as I've just set it up, that we're talking about a case where a chaver, somebody who is careful with tumantara, made the vessel, created the vessel, did it all batara, then why would you then have to go dunk it in a mikvah, the, the kli itself, to make sure that it is, in fact, pure? Was it at all ready prepared in complete tara? There should be no question. So the Gemara has to reach a little bit. So what, maybe it wasn't a Chaver, maybe it was an Amharet who completed meaning. Again, an Amharet, somebody who was not careful about Tumantara. Well then, if that's the case, then why would we say that these vessels are completed Batara 
because we know, and the Gemara says it straight up, uh, that, uh, no, I'm sorry, the the we know it from elsewhere, not in this particular passage, right? That an Abhairat who touches the Kli is already rendering it impure. Meaning, you can't have an Abhairat making a Kli that will be impure because the very touch of the person who is not careful about Tumantara is understood to render the vessels impure, regardless of the actual status of the Abhairat, right? The presumption is that the risk of impurity is there, and therefore it is um, applied. Amar Rabba Barshila, Amar Ravatna, Matana, Amar Shmuel, the Olam Dugmar Nuchaver. So all these folks, they all say, well, no, really, the mission is talking about a case of vessels that a Chaver made, completed them. Umishum Sinura de Abhairat. But the decree was made lest in passing the spit of an Amaretz would hit the vessel at some point and therefore the vessel itself would be impure, so make sure to dunk into the big one. I have questions about this. Now, uh, this, the, the point of the Amaretz is spit. Let's just talk, take note of this. If the Amaretz happens to be pure, then nothing really has changed, right? But if the Amaretz happened to have the status of a Zav, for example, then that would render the Kli impure and therefore we take the we take the very cautious route, an abundance of caution to make sure that the Kli is treated as if it needs to be, um, re- you know, re-purified. My question on this, of course, is after the Kli is completed and dunked in the mikvah, like, who's to say that three seconds later is not going to be, you know, um, get hit by the spit of the Amharats? Meaning the time factor here is interesting to me because because that potential seems to me to always be there. And the Gemara asks, did a foul Ama, when it when did this, you know, spit, this potential hypothetical spit, when did it fall on the on the vessel? If we say it happened before he completed the vessel, ha lav manahu, then it's not a vessel. Meaning if it's not a vessel, it can't be rendered impure. So hold your horses, we're not worried about it yet. But if it happens after, right? So somebody walks by and I don't know, coughs, whatever spit happens upon the vessel. What's it? But we know that it's a chaver, and he would have been very careful to make sure that that didn't happen to begin with. Meaning that we're not worried about this because it's a chaver taking precautions all the way along. So rather, the gemara says no. We're talking about a case where the spit fell before he completed it, the chaver you know, was treating it as not yet a kli. He didn't have to be so protective against impurity. And then what happens? Then at the next moment he completes the vessel. What if the spit is still there, still wet, and therefore still has the potential to render the now kli impure? So, your daddy, you want to talk about jumping through hoops to come up with a case to make sure that the the uh, mala is justified. I feel like we're seeing that again here. Yeah, I would agree with you. And then, uh, you know, so it's so again, I my gut is, and I this is just my read of this is they're trying to go through each case, you know, or at least, but it's interesting why they don't go through, you know, case four and five, and they want to say like, how do we really know this? Why would this be the case? And, you know, at least for three and six, it seems they kind of have to really, you know, 
work their way into it. Whereas seven, which I'll read very quickly, right, which says, The seventh one is that if you have a clea, all the food combines in it with Kodesh. In other words, if there's some of the food is Tame, the whole thing is going to be considered Tame. Whereas if it's Truma, right, you have like 10 oranges and one of the Truma oranges becomes Tame, uh, only that one is Tame, but not everything that's in there. And so here the Gemara says, Minahani Milai, right? The classic, you know, from where do we know this? We're going to cite a Pasuk to prove this. Amar Rabbi Hanim to Amar Kra, right? And Rabbi Hanim says, and now he quotes a Pasuk, uh, from Bamidbar, chapter 7, verse 14, um, one golden pan of 10 shekels full of incense. So this teaches us that everything that's in the pan, and they're talking about the pan that's used in the Mishkan, in the Beit HaMikdash, which is, well, you know, one pan, everything is considered to be one unit, right? Even if it's asarazahat, even if it's made up of individual units, okay? And then they're going to have Rav Kahana is going to object to this by quoting a Mishnah that's in Masachat Ejod, and there will be a little bit of a discussion about this. Um, but here I just find it interesting that for this one, they find a Pasuk for it, but the other ones, there's no Pasuk for it. So I, we're reading this quickly because, again, it's in Dafyomi fashion, but I'm just finding, like, the logic and the reasoning here to be very interesting. It's not a uniform logic. They're really taking each case by itself. Some cases not even commenting on, some by, you know, citing a, a, a rare event. Um, and it's just, uh, I, I can't figure out sort of the, I don't know that it has one. There doesn't seem to be sort of a universal principle that's organizing all of this. Um, except for that we have this list of precautions, right? Or, right, or stringencies. Get the precautions or the reasoning behind it. Yes, I agree with you. The list is the organizing principle. But the reasons behind it or the, you know, that doesn't seem to, that I can't figure out what's unifying there. I'll just note that I think that the one of the reasons that they're not all discussed is that some of the, the cases in the Mishnah, some of them kind of just automatically make sense. That, that doesn't mean that the Gemara wouldn't dis discuss them, but as opposed to decrees that, you know, really kind of, make you turn yourself into a pretzel to understand exactly what the concern is. Uh, I feel like they left alone the ones that didn't need that. That's probably true. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron uh, website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.